Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning. My name is Bree, and today I'll be reading two passages from Scripture. The first is from John 14, 7 to 9 and the second from Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a, a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, We are starting today a series called Being Human, and um, it's... uh, it's one of those series that I think, at, I, I got to tell you, like, I'm just kind of nervous to actually start it, um, because it's sort of a big topic, you know, uh, what does it mean to be human? Um, but it, it's interesting because it seems to be something that we're actually, uh, at, at this time in history and at this time in our culture and this time even in our country, we're having a lot of conversations about and we're trying to figure it out. Like, what does it actually mean to be human? And so over the next uh, eight weeks, we're going to be taking time um, today I'm going to start talking about what does it mean, um, like what is our identity as human beings, but then we're going to talk about, okay, what does it mean to be human as a woman? What does it mean to be human as a man? What does it mean to be uh, human in, in whatever life stage or relationship status you have to be, whether you're single or you're married? What does it mean to live out our purpose as humanity in the various life stages and places where we may be found? And in week eight, we're doing a hot seat Sunday, so that is just going to be like 35 minutes of Q&A, because um, what I'm hoping is, and probably what's going to happen is you're going to have more questions than answers as we're going through um, these seven weeks. And so as you're thinking, oh, like, I know we talked about this, but that makes me ask this, or maybe there's questions we didn't get to addressing. And so we're going to be starting in week four to just kind of have you send in your questions. And of course, that morning we'll do um, questions live as well from the floor. You can text them in. But that's uh, just built around the fact that we know that uh, there's lots of complexity around this, and we're not going to be able to put a nice bow on this at the end where we'll clear up all of our misunderstandings about humanity, that there'll be more questions. And so our hope is to have a really good uh, kind of dialogue in a hot seat Sunday. So it'll be me and uh, a couple of people on a panel with us uh, here, and we'll be doing that um, in Bolton as well. And so for those of you that don't know, we have another church uh, in Bolton who they're actually next month are voting um, to, to join our church and become a congregation of our church up in Bolton. And so one of our other teaching pastors, Dave, is up there this week week, and so they're going to start the series next week, and we sort of go back and forth. Um, But as I said to you today, um, we're starting on what does it mean um, to be human? What does it mean to actually have an identity? And uh, I was, uh, uh, came across a a TV series that was originally based on a book that a guy named Stephen Johnson wrote, and he sort of, uh, uh, he studies the history of science. And um, he was saying that in the uh, 13th or 12th, 13th centuries, 
Um, people have been making glass for a number of years, but they got really good at it then and started to shape it um, and, and use it for different purposes and new purposes. Up to that point, it had sort of been, I mean, for many centuries, sort of ornamental primarily. But then they said as the priests were getting older and starting to realize they needed, they couldn't read the text as well, they started shaping glass and have you, so that would allow them kind of magnifying glasses. And that turned into like uh, reading glasses and then telescopes. But he said they started doing something else with glass right around that time that actually changed quite a bit of things. And here's, before I tell you what it is, here's what he said the effect of the change was. <clears throat> Social conventions, as well as property rights and other legal customs, began to revolve around the individual rather than the older, more collective units, the family, the tribe, the city, the kingdom. People began writing about their interior lives with far more scrutiny. Hamlet ruminated on stage. The novel emerged as a dominant form of storytelling, probing the inner mental lives of its characters with an unrivaled depth. The psychological novel, in a sense, is the kind of story you start wanting to hear once you begin spending meaningful hours of your life staring at yourself in the mirror. He said that's what changed as people started to use glass and make Mirrors that they could see themselves in. He said something fascinating happened. He said art began to change. Because artists now could see the object from multiple angles. And so their portraits and the portraits of people and then self-portraits began to be shaped. And as art began to change and study the human person more, psychology began to follow with it. Now our own understanding and really obsession with self and trying to understand the psyche and the human person. And so the mirror itself literally changed art and philosophy and literature and history. And that's still true today in many ways. In many ways, if we think about, well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be me? We actually base that on what is in the reflection of the mirrors we have in our homes. And so for some people, what is in the reflection is their skin color. And that would tell them, in a sense, who they are or perhaps who they're upset that they are. Um, we used to laugh because, like, when my, we ca I come from a South Asian background, and growing up, my sister was always annoyed that her skin would get, like, darker in the summer, right? She hated that. And then the rest of the world who's white wants to get as dark as they possibly can in the summer, right? Like, however you, whatever you take that reflection to mean, it means something to you of your, your identity. For others, it's the body type, right? Our breast size, our chest size, our muscle size, whatever it is, what we see in the mirror reflects back a sense of who we are and how we feel about that. Maybe for some, it's who else is in the picture with you? Is there a ring on your finger? Are there um, children or spouse or grandchildren in the mirror? Does that give a sense of reflection of identity? Um, maybe for others, it's how far you've come. You know, how far have you gotten in life? What have you accomplished in life? Maybe even for some, it's the clothes. And in fact, the clothes we buy or what we put on so that we look tells us something about ourselves. I mean, certainly that's true, right? The badges we wear tell us something about ourselves. It gives a sense of identity, whether the rock band we listen to or the beer we drink or the t-shirt we wear or what kind of technology we have. What we see in the mirror reflects a sense of self and do I like what I see or not? And, and in fact, what we're, what we're being told in, hey, like, if you don't like what you see in the mirror, just change it. Like, in fact, even now to the very point of saying, hey, the certain gender reflected back to you in the mirror may not be actually what you want to be or what you feel like you are. 
and you can change that. Or if you think, well, I don't like where I've been in life, hey, don't worry, you can change that. You know, just get, you know, put, put your, whatever you can put, set your mind to, you can be whatever you want to be. If, even if you don't like your identity as it appears in the mirror today, you can change that. And all that this means in many ways is that you and I are sort of held captive by the images of ourselves that say this is who you are. The mirror is a very dangerous thing. It's a captivating thing. What is it that we see and do we like how beautiful we are? How much, you know, my kids are now starting to make touch of gray uh, jokes in our home, right? Like, do, as that's coming, do you like, and as you're aging, do you like what it looks like and how you feel and where you've been and who is in the mirror with you? That can begin to be a determinant of saying, that's not just what you look like, that's who you are. That's just what your job is, that's who you are. That's not just not your stage of life, that's who you are. And maybe sometimes the pressure even to think, oh my gosh, I have to choose, I have to change. If I don't like it, the mirror can hold us captive. It says, this is who you are. We did a little survey with you. We sent out to you, and over 70 of you responded to the survey. And one of the first questions in the survey, the first one was easy, male or female. The second one was more hard. People said, I gave up after that. I didn't, I didn't like, so we were like, this is really hard. Why are you asking us these questions? And it was like, okay, rank order, which of these things in a sense, are, have, the, have the heaviest weight in your life to make that make you feel good or bad about where you are in life. And here's the results that, that we, um, of like the first thing. So basically, if you look at the left side, that's the rank order. And so, um, oh, actually the last survey I saw was tied. Relationship status, my health and body were number one, and then what I've accomplished thus far in life, and then sort of the list. So this is the rank order list. So I don't know how representative this is of everybody, but over 70 of you said, yeah, these are the things, if I'm honest, that kind of make me feel really good or really bad about who I am. My health and my body, my relationship status, am I single, am I dating, am I married, and what have I accomplished in life thus far? See, this is the mirror, and we know this is no way to live. We know, I mean, even as I'm saying, you're like, you know, I mean, it's on the billboards of the schools and we drive by, you know, like character matters, whatever. But it's like, yeah, except what we really feel is how we, what we see in the mirror. And maybe the other people's expectations of us are what we thought we would be at this stage in life. We know it's no way to live. And yet somehow we feel like we're slaves to it. But it doesn't answer the question. We know there's more to life than this. Like I'm more than what I see in that mirror. But what, what is it then? How do I answer that question. And Dallas Willard, an author and professor, um, passed away a little while ago. He wrote this in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Who are we humans? What are we supposed to do? Surely life is for more than just surviving or mastering nature and other human beings. Why are we here? The inability to answer such questions is one of the most striking and troublesome quandaries of being a human. Some of us may find relief from the angst through identifying with sports teams, rock stars, and social movements of one kind or another. Some may resort to the dogmatisms of politics, science, or religion. Our bumper stickers and t-shirts may bear symbols and slogans intended to inform others as well as ourselves that we are very sure, thank you, who we are and what we are doing and how we feel about the whole idea of being on this planet. But it's all empty bravado, a nervous whistling in the dark, of our ignorance and uncertainty about our real nature and our real task in life. He puts his finger on something that I think all of us feel. Even if everything we see in the mirror we're happy with, 
there is some, it is a nervous whistling in the dark. There's something deeper in us that says, how do I know who I am? Or sometimes we go through an experience, a job loss, a relationship loss, the death of a loved one, an unexpected turn of events, and suddenly we, we're not just disappointed or hurt, we're devastated. Our very selves are on shaky ground. And so this question of what does it mean to be human, we as humans, I think it's part of actually what makes us human is that like cat, your cats, how many of you have cats? I'm sorry, but no, no, that's, I, I shouldn't say that. You have cats, they're not at home right now, I guarantee you, you know, texting each other saying, I just don't feel like myself today. Like, maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Right? Like, there's something distinctively unique about human beings that we ask these questions about ourselves. We want to know. And here's why we need God to speak into these questions. Here's why we need to actually ask him the questions. Because I know for some of you, that may mean, oh, that's scary. Like, if we're going to ask God, God's going to tell us what it is that we're supposed to do. God is going to, God or the church or religion, and maybe some of you have come out of a background and maybe you came by it honestly where, yeah, like religion was very controlling. It tried to control and in many ways. That's what religion does, to tell you what to do. And so we now live in a culture where we'd rather be wrong as long as we told ourselves what to do rather than someone else be right about what we should have done, right? Like we'd just rather be wrong as long as we got to tell ourselves. And so I, I get, it's scary to say, well, what does God think? Should I ask God, God, why am I here? What am I meant to do? But here's why we need God to speak into this. Because we need someone who is outside of this, right? Because every one of us from inside is too affected by this. We're all products of the broken culture, the nervous whistling in the dark. Someone who is outside of this, who can see, is meant to actually speak into us. You know what the story of Scripture tells us? We got something even better than God from outside of this telling us what it means to be human. We have God from outside who came inside and lived as a human. And he is the one, Jesus Christ, who has the ability and the authority, one from the outside who came in to say this is what it means to be human. You know what's interesting? When you read the, the Gospels of Jesus Christ, the four biographies, he categorically rejected the reflection in the mirror. And in fact, if you read the plot lines, what you will find is it's one of the reasons they killed him. Because he started to say, and in fact, he said to himself and to the people around him, because you know what? Quite frankly, other people have expectations for us of what they think it means for us to be human. And in fact, when the whole world agrees on this, when someone comes along and says, no, it doesn't belong, it's false, everyone else says, wait, why are you doing that? You can't do that. Jesus categorically, systematically rejected all of the identity markers that his culture had set up and said, this is who you are. They said, if you're a holy man, if you really know God and you are holy, you can't spend all this time with all these sinners who don't know God. But he did, over and over. They said, if you're a rabbi and a self-respecting Jewish man, you can't spend so much time with women and call them to be your disciples as well. But he did. They said, if you are um, a holy man and pure and you understand the law, you can't hang around with people who are diseased and people who are sick because they're that way because they were cursed and they were, God is punishing them because they didn't follow the law. 
but he did. They said, if you're truly close to God and you call yourself a teacher, you should be in the temple more instead of outside with all the places where people aren't educated and didn't ha don't have access to God and can't get into the temple, and yet he seemed to spend most of his time teaching outside. They said, if you're a self-respecting Jew, you can't eat with foreigners, with Gentiles, which is their word for non-Jew, especially Roman scum. But he did. One by one by one, Jesus rejected the identity markers of what it meant to be Jewish, what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a righteous person, what it meant to be a teacher. And he was doing that over and over and over. He was not living out of the reflection of his cultural mirror. In fact, he said, I'm living for some other kind of reflection. He says this, talking to his disciples. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, one of his disciples, said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. See, Jesus wasn't living out an identity of what his reflection in the mirror said, but in fact, he said, I am reflecting someone else. If you have seen my life, you've seen the Father. I am a reflection, not of what the culture tells me I'm meant to live by, but the God that I know and worship, who is my Father. It's stunning, right? This rejection of identity, all of the identity markers that so mattered, in fact, they were the identity markers that the culture said, this is how we know you know God. If you follow these rules, if you don't eat with certain people, if you don't associate with, and if you don't, you know, legitimize certain people, if you make sure you um, follow all of the laws that we say you need to, to be clean and to be holy. And Jesus seemed to reject most of those things. He said, this is the way you actually know that I know God, is that if you've seen me, you've seen him. It's a different kind of reflection altogether. Now you might say, well, yeah, that's because he was God, right? Like that's, that was the whole, isn't that the whole point? That if we've seen Jesus, we've seen God, yes. But he wasn't just showing us who God was. He was showing us what our purpose was as human beings. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, in fact, the very first chapter in the Bible, it actually tells us that this is the same identity and purpose that we were meant to have in life. In the very first chapter of the Bible, which is the account of creation, the writer says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The very beginning of the story tells us that human beings, you and I, men and women, were made in the image of God. It doesn't say that about anything else that God created in the world. It only says that about humans. 
It says that God created everything, and it was good. All of creation was good and beautiful. But about humans, it says this, they were made in his image. What does that mean? Well, in, in those days, in the ancient Near East, when, when kings ruled over large sort of geographies and spaces, and they couldn't set up their throne or their palace in a million places, they would set up images of themselves all over the land, wherever they ruled, so that when people saw the image of the king, they would remember, oh, this is who runs this place. It was a reminder of who the king was, the image of the king. And God gives human beings this incredible identity and purpose of saying, that's who you are. I have created you. I have just done this incredible creating act of beauty and creativity and love, and I've given it to you, and now I'm sending you out in the world, and you are going to image me by how you live, by how you create. That's why he says, fill the earth. I, I think it's so amazing. We've done that, haven't we? Like, look at all of the things that human beings have created, like that we have come up with and innovated that is constantly happening. In a sense, human beings are living out the creative mandate over and over. Now, some of the things we made, we've used for destruction. Some of the things we made for useless purposes. Not, but many things we have, we have actually created. And he says, go and fill the earth. And when he says rule, like steward it, look after it, watch over it, look out for it. And as you do that, when people see you, they will understand who you are and they will worship me. They will, because you will be, in a sense, like God. Not gods unto yourselves, which is why the great lie, right, that the serpent told Eve was just that slight twist of what God had said. God had said, go. You're going to represent me. People are going to see you. I'm giving you rule. And they said, don't you want to be like God? They're like, oh, yeah, no, that sounds good. I said, I already made you that way. I've already made you in my image. Go do what I've asked you to do with my love and grace and creativity and kindness and goodness and look after the world. And when you do that, people will look at you and see me. This was our purpose in life from the beginning. Not to be the reflection in the mirror we see, but to reflect the one who created us. That in a sense, your identity is not who or what, what your reflection is, but who you're reflecting. Of course, we decided as human beings to reject that purpose and say, no, God, we don't want to do that. We don't want to reflect you. We want to reflect us. We will create an identity for ourselves. Thank you very much. That, that's the heart of sin. They say, I don't trust you. I don't trust your plan. We're going to create our own identity. And so when God sends Jesus into the world, he sends someone from the outside to the inside to actually show us what humanity was supposed to be. You ever think about that? There's been lots of debate um, throughout history over who Jesus is. And in the early years and after his death and resurrection, there were these like sort of heresies where some would say, well, no, he was only human, but he was not really God. But there were some who would say, no, he's God. He wasn't actually human. He was just sort of the image of human. Like it was just sort of a, an, um, like a cloak or something or like a mask he was wearing. He wasn't actually human. And what the Christian faith from the beginning has affirmed is like, no, God became fully human. In fact, he came to show us just what would it look like if human beings lived out the identity that God gave them from the beginning. What would it look like? What would a human being fully alive actually look like? It's Jesus Christ. More human than we are. 
he actually came to show us what would it look like if you just trusted God, rejected these identity markers that says who you are, and actually lived to reflect me. It would look like Christ. That Jesus has actually given us a picture, an image of this is what you were meant to do. To not live and die by the identity markers of your culture, whatever you're going to write on your mirror that says you're good, you're beautiful, you're successful, you're capable, you've made it. But to actually say, no, my life is not lived based on that reflection, but who I'm reflecting. What would that look like? Would look like Christ. So the Apostle Paul says this when he writes to the church. Therefore, he says, because of this, so in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. See, the ancient Greeks, and they attributed to maybe Plato or Socrates or whatever, had a saying around like three or 400 B.C. that, um, they would thank the gods that they were not, that I'm not a barbarian, that I'm not a woman, and that I'm not a slave. And, and apparently the, sort of the Jews adapted their own sort of version of that where the Jewish men would pray as part of their morning prayers, thank you God that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a woman, and that I'm not a slave. Because those were the identity markers. If you were a man, and from the proper sort of race, and that you were not a slave to anyone, then you, life was good for you. But if you were any one of those things, life was bad. Either people looked down on you, or if you're a woman in that culture, essentially you were treated like property. And so that's why if there was marriage or divorce, or, uh, uh, it was like property changing hands. That's what it was like if you were a woman or a child even in that culture. If you were a slave and you were, you were an indentured servant, you owed your life to whoever, sort of you couldn't pay the debt, and so you lived forever to just work for them. That determined everything. It was all those identity markers. And so people understood that. that. And Paul very cleverly says he's speaking to both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks. And he says, actually, in Christ, you're all now children of God. And that has wiped out forever these identity markers. Now, it's not your skin color. And it's not your gender. And it's not your place in life or your social class or how much money you've made or how successful you've been. But he says, everyone who's in Christ, now their identity has changed. It's not that gender or ethnicity or where you are in life doesn't mean anything. It, he didn't obliterate them. He just said, that's not what tells you ultimately who you are. Those markers are not the things that say, this is who you are, this is how you should live, but now we are all one in Christ. It was a radical statement that essentially wiped out the identity markers of that entire culture and said, now when you look in the mirror, everything has changed. Now you live out reflecting Jesus, the human. Now all of this has changed for you. Your identity is not your reflection, but the Christ you're reflecting. You know what's so cool about this? They think that this was um, like this quote about, you know, in Christ there's no Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, was, a, was a, something they said right after people came out of the baptism tank. 
that because they said all of you who are baptized in Christ, they think this was an early Christian sort of liturgy baptism, that when they actually came out of the tank, they said to him, now in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background was, whether you took a lot of pride in it or whether you hope no one would ever know. It doesn't matter what your social class is, how much money you have in the bank, whether you came from good family, whether you have a good education or you went to a proper school or you did everything you were supposed to do in the eyes of your parents or your family or whatever that was, that doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what the culture says. You can do this or you can't do this. Now you are a new person in Christ. I was thinking, man, we should do that when people get baptized at church, right? Like when they come out of the water. Now your identity has changed. Whatever is on that mirror that says this is how you have to live, this is whether it's your own expectations or the expectations of other people. It's not that those things are obliterated, that, that we're all kind of melded into this sort of like homogenous, you know, amoeba or something, like that our differences aren't celebrated, but they're not what ultimately define who we are. We are not slaves to the reflection in the mirror any longer. Amen? Man, that's good news. And so here's what I want you to do. If that's true, if that's true, if that's who we are, if that's what's changed, you need to write some new things on your mirror. That's why it gave you. You got one? Hold it up. Now, test it on a small corner, right? If I did this, you can write words on your mirror. It'll wipe off. What are you going to write? Where are you going to get those words? There's a saying someone said years ago that beholding is becoming. Or maybe better said, what you look at is what you will eventually look like. What you stare at, obsess about, fix your eyes on what you think about constantly is what you'll become like. And so where are you going to get the words that you could write on your mirror that's saying it's not going to be what my body looks like, what my hair color is, what clothes I have, what my skin color is, whether there's a ring on my finger or not, or there used to be and there's not anymore. It's not going to be those things. So what are you going to write instead? I was just thinking this week, about Jesus. I was reading through, just finished reading through one of the Gospels, thinking about, meditating on who is he? And, th- and these words came to mind. Merciful, patient, sacrificial, forgiving, courageous, See, this isn't like self-help or self-talk that you're going to write a few, you know, positive statements on the mirror to hopefully get you up in the morning and like somehow amp you up to try to be a better person. This is who he is. We all fall short of who he is. But the more we look at him, the more we will look like him. That's why we always encourage you, read the scriptures, read the biographies of his account, read his life, read his story, which is actually threaded all the way through the whole library that is the Bible. It's the life of Jesus. It's why we encourage you to go to home groups or starting up again this week and actually talk about this together and say, what does it mean that he is the new image 
of humanity. That the more that I think about him, the more that I see how he deals with people, the more that I actually pray to him and talk to him. That's why we say, say you pray, like talk to him. The more that I ask him, the more who he is begins to get in me and I begin to reflect him. This isn't like this impossible task of saying, here's a superhero, try to be like them. It's like, no, the more I look at him, the more I will look like him. And so what we want you to do is, as you pray, as you read the biographies of Jesus, maybe you're going to pick one of them up, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and start reading. So you are just looking and saying, I'm looking to see who is he really. What do I notice about him? I gave you guys homework a couple weeks ago to watch the Son of God movie. I know a bunch of you did. Some of you haven't yet. And I know we still got a British accent or whatever, but like, okay, but like, if you just look at the story, what do I notice about him? These words actually came from me, like watching that movie when I, when I saw how he dealt with people. It was so captivating. His mercy, his forgiveness, and how courageous he was. As you look at him, I want you to write those down on your mirror, whatever mirror is. Maybe your rear view mirror is not a good one, but like maybe, you know, the mirror in your bathroom or the mirror just on the way out the door. That you would look at him and say, these are the characteristics, the aspects of Jesus that I want. You can snap a picture of it, hashtag it, being human, URCC. I, wanna, I want our community to share this together. This is who I'm seeing of who Jesus is. Because whatever you look at is what you will look like. Do you know the beautiful thing is, I was talking to Jen this week, she's like, make sure you tell them this. No one person reflects Jesus perfectly. If you did, you, you would be Jesus. Like, that's not the goal. But the, we're called the body of Christ, the church. Isn't that cool? That together we reflect him to the world. Together we give the world a more beautiful picture than whatever it is we're all writing on our mirrors every day. Together the world actually is meant to look at the church and not see perfection, and not see people who are wagging their fingers, as one person said, we're the body of Christ, but we have no arms and no legs. We're just a mouth speaking out about what we're against. <laughs> That's not who we want to be. It's not who we're meant to be. We're actually meant to be the community of people who the more we look at Jesus, the more we look like Jesus, and the more the world looks at us and says, you know what? You're not perfect, but that's a picture of humanity that I think I want more of in my own life. And so that's like deep sigh of relief. Is like we don't have to do this by ourselves. It's not each of us becoming exactly like Jesus, but together. I was thinking about this. Perfection for each of us individually is impossible, but together we can actually collectively look like Jesus. Courage, mercy, kindness, grace, forgiveness, patience, wisdom, love, a self-sacrificing way of life. So the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a couple of songs of, of response that actually just sing about who he is. And so I just want you to stop before you think about whatever you're going to write to just use these songs to think and to sing, wow, this is what it means to be human, to look like him. And that you'd even pray even throughout this series that Jesus, help me understand more of who you are because we're all in some ways living out of these incomplete or broken pictures of what we think it means to be me. That you'd actually ask Jesus, can you redo this for me? In my life, can you give me a new picture of what it means to be me as I look at you?